the, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. This is the 5 a.m. Hustle podcast. Get ready to learn about personal development and entrepreneurship in the new era. I'm your host, Jack Constantine. Let's go. Welcome back, Hustlers, to the 5 and Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Jack Considine. And I'm Namish Kaista. Uh, we want to welcome Levent Yildiz Guren to the podcast. He is the co-founder of TDC We Translate, a multi-award winning translation and localization company. And his company has helped entrepreneurs grow their business globally by making their message understood in any language. He also has written a book, which is behind him, uh, Good Business in Any Language. And he also runs the Breaking Language Barriers podcast. So um, we'd love to hear a little bit of context on who you are um, and kind of what's gotten to this point in your career so far. Thank you for inviting me, guys. This is great, great fun to be, fun to be with you. And um, I love the energy, by the way. So, so yes, I'm, I could talk all day. So stop me, <laughs> stop me if I go too too much, too much on. Well, I've been running uh, the company with my wife for the. This is our thirtieth year, and um, how did we get here? It's like it's a kind of it's a. It feels like a long story, but it's, in essence, it's, 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 it's quite concise. Um, I always wanted to run my own business, you know, having the control of my, my what, what comes in, having the control of in my, you know, being the decisive one. You know, I didn't want my future to be tied up to something else. I just wanted to be in control of my future. So, so what I mean by my future is my family's future. So 1995, we had an opportunity. My wife was already running the company, and uh, we had an opportunity for me to join the company because we had a large contract. Um, and there's another story I can tell you. And uh, so within two weeks, I handed in my notice, resigned from my uh, position. Bit of a shock to everyone, shock to me. Uh, but I thought, and my wife thought, well, this is this is our opportunity. If you don't take it now, it'll who knows when will it come? And after a certain time, people you know change and the passion dies and everything. So okay, that's the time to do it. It wasn't a, a logical decision. What I mean by that is we didn't have spreadsheets, we didn't consult a consultant or you know we didn't make any calculations. It was based on emotions. And uh, we had two small children, <laughs> mortgage, and the UK was uh, lurking or going through a recessionary period. So you know, now that was that was how how I got involved in the business, and now you know the business is going for 30 years. So that's that's great. And ever since we have evolved through the times. Uh, what I mean by that is, like. What we are doing uh, five years ago, we are doing it quite differently now. 
with the COVID, it even changed. So one thing that, that made me really happy and also like, um, what's the word, like happy that we are following the times and evolving the business to suit uh, the changing in times as well as our customers' requirements. Because we, we are not in this for ourselves. We are, you know, the reason we exist is because of our customers, because we, we are providing a service that our customers require. So to cut the long story short, we have an office in, in, in the UK, that's our headquarters. And we also have an office in, in Turkey. And the colleagues in Turkey, initially it was in the, the Izmir place called Izmir, which is in the agency, lovely place. But since the pandemic started, we have been working remotely. So, so you know, we got four or five colleagues in Izmir, a couple of colleagues in another place and another colleague somewhere else. So we kind of scattered around, around Turkey. So two offices, uh, there's like 10 of us. And uh, so it's, it's very exciting times. I mean, the pandemic, okay, it was, a, you know, it was hard to get used to it, but we managed to turn it around. We started the podcast during the pandemic I wrote my book during the pandemic. So, so I, I'm happy that we turned the pandemic, you know, we turned the, the threats into opportunities. So awesome. this, is, this I, is me, you know. Great. Uh, so I want to go back to the, the beginning of your story because you mentioned how you kind of quit whatever job you were doing and then you're like, I'm going to go and do it on my own. And a lot of people that we've interviewed have either had something similar to that um, or people listening will maybe have that kind of opportunity in the future where yeah. Yeah. it may not be a logical decision, but you know that it is right for you and, and you're willing to take the risk. Like, what was going through your head at that time period? What was the conversation with your family about um, to make that decision and all that? Well, well, it was it was quite interesting. As I said, it wasn't a logical decision. Now, thinking of what well, thinking now and and knowing what I know, would I do it now? I would never ever do it myself now. But at the time, the opportunity presented was so so good and something that we wanted to do. You know, we wanted to be control, in control of our future and you know our decisions. We didn't think of money, we didn't think of getting rich. It was like that's our opportunity. We wanna we wanna deliver something for our customers the way we want it. And, and we want to control the whole process doing that. And, you know, so we didn't consult anyone. We didn't even speak to our family about it because if we said, if I mean, my, at the time my, 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 my dad was alive, alive, and if I had asked him, you know, what do you think I should do? We kind of knew what the answer would be. So we didn't say anything to anyone. <laughs> and we, yeah, it was just a, more decision based on emotions, handed in my notice. And, you know, I was in print, printing trade. I was a director of company car, you know, quite really comfortable, comfortable, comfortable job. But I think what was interesting that I didn't want to stay in my comfort zone. It was, it was a comfort zone. It, I, it was a job that I, I did. I believe I did really well. And, uh, you know, they, people respected me and you know, they, they listened to what I had to say. I was about to make either director or sort of a, a, a promotion in the pipeline because I got on really well with the owner of the company. 
But it was a comfort zone. There was nothing, there was no challenges. There was, <laughs> I was doing something that I could do really well. But yeah. it wasn't appealing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know do if you know I meant... who, um, Sorry, do you know who Jim Carrey is? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like an American actor, very famous. Yeah, yeah that's, right. um, that's right, yes. Yeah, he always talks about one. I like him, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah, he's really cool. Um, he always talks about one experience he had where his dad um, always had a dream to be like an actor or a musician, you know, but he picked a safe job as an accountant. Um, and then when his dad was like 35, 40, maybe like middle-aged, he got laid off from his accounting job. Right. And then they couldn't, they couldn't control, like their, their family was, it was a rough time for them. And right. he said, like, Jim Harry always says, like, what he learned from that experience is you can fail at what you hate. So you might as well fail at something you like doing instead of failing at what you hate. And that, I love like, that. always sticks I love with that. me I, I, didn't, I didn't hear this before, but I love this. So thank you for sharing. I, I think I'm going to use it with your permission. I love this. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Absolutely. That's, I think, it fitted really well within the, our, you know, frame of mind at the time. Yeah, and 100%. It, you know, we never looked back. I mean, I'm pleased to say we never looked back. It was a, it was a right decision. It was correct decision. Was it easy? Not, absolutely not. Was it hard? Yes. You know, but yeah, we never looked back. Yeah, what were some of your biggest challenges in that time, like in the early stages? with start, starting the business. <laughs> it was a bit of everything. You know, you know it's, a bit like, um, it's a bit like this. Um, you're kind of getting on with your life and a friend of, friend of yours comes and say, say Jack comes to you, says, Namish, I've got this, you know, I want these tickets. And next week, I want you to come with me to travel the world. You know, you say, I can't say no to this, but you know, you, you, you haven't got any preparations. Just imagine yourself like that. You know, what, what do I do? You know, what, what stuff do I need to take with me? You know, so it was a bit like that. So we had to deliver the job because it, was a con not, it wasn't a contract, by the way. So we didn't have any, any vehicle in place. So it was like a word of, you know, somebody said, look, I've got this job. It'll probably take uh, three to four months to finish. Are you up for it? We said, yeah, we are up for it. So there was no written contract, no purchase order, anything like that. And um, so we had to do the job and we had to put things in place to do it. I knew how to do it. My wife knew how to do it, but we had to put things in place. And then there was like ton, ton of other stuff to do, like, um, you know, getting getting the printer that is that prints better, you know, faster. Ah, hold on. We need another screen. Got another screen. Telephone line is not enough. Another telephone line. So there was, while trying to do the job, there was a lot of admin stuff that had to be done as well. And of course, at the same time, we had two small children. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, it was like, I don't know, bit of everything going all at the same time. <laughs> there, wasn't, there wasn't any sleep. I mean, thinking about it now, um, we would work till uh, late in late, you know, small hours in the morning, and then obviously children has to go to school, uh, and so most of the days we wouldn't go upstairs to sleep. We would sleep downstairs, and we op we would open the window a bit so that we could wake up, 
So I, you know, we would just sleep in the in the living room so that we could wake up and get the children to school. So, but it was exciting times, you know. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those times you like look back and you realize it was it was really formative. But in the moment, you're like, what the heck? It's three a.m. I need to wake up at six a.m. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. you know, I should be in bed by now. And and then of course, you know, once the initial excitement it is over and then it is like doing the job and delivering and delivering on weekly basis yes you know there are times i'm sure i know i said it many times i'm sure my wife said it as well but we didn't say it to each other so that we didn't want to demotivate each other but i ever say so many, i said to myself you know what have i done you know <laughs> why did i do this <laughs> but now i'm looking back yeah that was i'm glad we did it yeah and I'm sure you always learn from those types of experiences because oh, it's yes. those tough times that actually teach you so much about yourself and about like what you're, absolutely. what you're made of, and then teach you about your industry so much more. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you learn so much more doing stuff than than you know. It's very hard to learn it, learn it first and then do it later. I think in business it's very hard. Yeah, recently I was talking to uh, the director of entrepreneurship here at the school that I go to. And he made a statement that, uh, yes, you can learn a little bit about entrepreneurship, but if you really want to experience it, you really want to be an entrepreneur, 90% of it is doing and 10% of it is learning. And so you can go to all these classes that teach you about entrepreneurship, but if you're not acting on it, then you're never going to have a business. And so he challenged all the students to go to different events, different things that practice the doing part of business rather than the learning part of business because you learn so much by doing. And yeah. that piece of advice is always going to be pertinent because without the action then you never actually have a business to begin with very true very true i mean i'm i'm, I'm totally in favor of self-development i'm totally in favor of education learning stuff absolutely you know I, I i don't that these are so important but i totally agree with you that to be an entrepreneur you have to do it you have to you know it's all about implementation if i said to you you know, guys, look, I have a great idea. Let's sell coffee. You know, you say, well, you know, what's great about that? You know, Starbucks sells coffee. And we have so many dozens of shops like where I live. They, they sell coffee. It is the implementation. So the idea is really is worthless. It's, it's the implementation. You know, it's actually doing it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, and you're never going to be 100% ready, you know, and that's what I think sometimes in school, because like, you can be 100% ready for a test, you know, <clears throat> you just study enough for the test. Yeah, and yeah, you study, absolutely. You study enough with enough time before you can be 100% ready for a math test, you'll know everything that will come up on there. But you can never be 100% ready to start a business, yeah. which is why you should just go when you feel like you're kind of okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, I think catching that Catching that moment, you know, being in the zone, I think it's more important than being ready. So when you're in the zone and you got the opportunity, you know, that's, I think that's what we call We got the opportunity, we were in the zone, and the rest kind of, you know, got, come together. I want to hear uh, more about kind of your industry because it's not every day you hear someone that is in the language industry, especially coming from the States, you're like, oh, everyone speaks English. It's just kind of an yeah, assumption yeah, that you yeah. make. And yes, you hear 
people speak other languages um, in different households and whatnot, but it's not really something that is a conversation of businesses can form it in different languages and whatnot. So can you explain like more of of what the industry is and what you've kind of tapped into? Because you have a podcast about it, you got a book about it, and that's your yeah. kind of yeah. business. So yeah. yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. Well, it is. It's like someone said. Someone said to me, and it, and he was from our industry. He said, he said, you know what? He said, translators are like toilet paper. You know, you miss them when you don't have it, but when it is there, you never, you never know the difference. You know, so how true is that? Because you have a piece of, I mean, all right, this is my book, and it's actually being translated into Turkish. If somebody reads it in Turkish and say, yeah, yeah, I like this or I don't like this, whatever that might be, you know, if they feel that it is their native language, then the translator did a really good job because, you know, it should come across as, as original. The moment somebody says, ah, this is translation, you know, sometimes you get those user manuals that is done very quickly on the quick and you can never understand you can never make head or tail of the instructions. So the translation, you know, translating something from original into another language, we call this localization because it is beyond, it is more than just translating the words. It is making it adaptable for the target audience. If the target audience um, prefer or use a certain style, it needs to be, um, uh, it needs to be like that. For instance, you know, um, you get here um, like beers, you know, you get like four, normally they come in fours, but I think in the States it's like six pack, isn't it? You get you get six bottles of, six cans of beer in, you know, together. So it's a bit like that, you know, if, uh, you know, like, um, what's this uh, Budweiser? You know, if they want to sell it in the UK and they put six bottles together, because it's not customers used to, it's likely that they won't be able to sell it more. It's the same product, same brand, but they need to package it differently to, to, to fit the audience. So this is also localization. Even, even localization is to do with like uh, address format. You know, you guys call it zip code, we call it postcode. In other countries, they don't even have that. You know, there's, there's, there's just a city code or, or something like that. So it is making the information adapted to the target audience. That is the language, that is the style, that's the color, also image, imagery as well. Because certain images can be misunderstood by target, target audience. I mean, there was a big gap in two, 2015, a, a British delegation went to uh, Taiwan for a big, mega, I think it was the underground tube station project, mega, mega project. And I mean, you know, wristwatch, you know, in, in the West, it's a timepiece, isn't it? So giving somebody a wristwatch is, is you know, it's valuable. It's like, it's a timepiece. So the British delegation presented the, a, a wristwatch, very expensive wristwatch to mayor of Taiwan. What they didn't know, <laughs> is that in Chinese culture, giving somebody a, a timepiece <laughs> can, uh, can sort of uh, give the impression that your time is up. 
<laughs> so you never give anybody a, a wristwatch or, or watch or, or clock. You don't do that. It's like it's like a taboo. And the guy must have been caught. And don't forget, this is not just two people speaking in a room, like TV, radio, you know, there's like delegations. There's like dozens of people in the room. And the, and the mayor of Taiwan said, look at it. I said, why shall I do it this? Maybe I'll, I'll sell it to the scrap, scrap yard or scrap metals or something like that. So suddenly the, the whole thing has changed and it could have collapsed. But because of this governmental level, they managed to put it right. And because it was totally unintentional, nobody wanted to insult anybody. So they were put, it was put right. But consider this in a, a lot smaller scale, a private enterprise, managing director goes with their sales director to, the, to this country, spending a lot of money, time, hotel fees, airlines, and they unintentionally insult their, their host. Possibly it wouldn't have been repaired. Possibly it will be like, oh God, we don't want to work with you. And that will be the end of that, that, that conversation and how, what a waste it would have been. So yes, everybody speaks English, you know? I mean, they are speaking English. I am originally from Turkey. I live in the UK. You guys are in the States and they are speaking English, yes. But when it comes to understanding information and when you understand the information and you're about to make a purchasing decision, you very much prefer it in your own language, in your native language. And people are more four times more likely to make a decision in favor of that product or service if they get the information in their native language. So it's so important. And also the world is so big. The 27% of the internet users only 27% use English. The rest is other languages. So by having three, four languages into your uh, product or service, you, you're getting so much more, you know, widening your possibility of gaining customers. So, you know, the translation, okay, you might say, well, you do translation, so of course you'll be in favor of that. But it's, it's simply making the product or service to reach to so many, so many more, so much more people. One good example is 2009, Apple decided to take iPhone to Chinese market. As soon as they announced it, their shares gained so much more value because it's just adding a, a huge market to their product range. So it had a positive effect on, on the company straight away. Same with, same with any business. You know, if it is done right, if it is done correctly, then it can be very favorable for the, for the, for the business. It's so interesting how fast <coughs> the change in like an advertisement happens for like a different language. Like I've been listening to like a little bit more Latin music than usual. And then I'll start getting like my Spotify ads like in Spanish all of a sudden. And that's because like you said, they want to advertise a product to someone who they expect maybe a native Spanish speaker if they're listening to this much music that's in Spanish. Uh, Jack, so, sorry. I'm having difficulty hearing you one second. I think I need to change my sound settings. Can you speak now? Can you hear me? 
yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Okay. yeah sorry. Yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, yeah. No worries. Apologies. So, yeah, so I was just saying that uh, it's so interesting how the advertisements for different products that, like, for me, I was listening to Spanish music more, Latin music, and I was getting all my ads in Spanish for different products, and uh, like you said, they switch from one language to the other to try to get your native language to sell a product better to you and it happened in a mere matter of a week or so and it's just very interesting how fast that can happen and uh, an algorithm yeah. can realize that you may not just be an english speaker maybe you have two languages in your household yeah 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 absolutely and spanish for instance i mean yes spanish is the second language most widely spoken in in the usa how many million is it 50 million Spanish speakers in the USA? Um, it might actually be more. Let's search it up. Spanish speakers in the USA. The I think it's a serious, a tangible number. And yeah, yeah. By, it's like, it's it's around 50 million, pretty much. You know, if, if um, just think of a, a product or service that not, you know, localized for Spanish, they're missing an opportunity. You know, I mean, the, we we noticed that difference in in the uh, recent political campaigns. All political parties in the USA, you know, in certain areas, targeted uh, Spanish speakers, and it was you know it was they realized that okay, if I want their vote, I need something in their language or in the style that they are used to. So there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just giving the information, making it available in people's native languages. Yeah, 100%. Um, I kind of want to pivot and ask you about, um, so you were saying your company has been running for about 30 years. Um, and so you were saying you're pretty consistently growing. So what's your secret to long-term growth in a company? Well, to be, to be, to be honest, there's no secret. You know, it is hard work. It is hard work, and and there are a number of things that entrepreneur or the business owner needs to take into account. And I try to do this all the time. One one thing is that it won't be consistent growth all the time. There are times that it will go like not like W shape for like the stock markets, but there will be time that things will go down, especially if the company is going for such a long time. There is a possibility that things. People are used to doing things in a certain way. And if the times change, they may not realize it. So that's my biggest fear. You know, doing what I do, and I believe I do it really well, but, you know, if I believe that too much, too strongly, it is possible to fall behind and not realize that things are actually changing, you know? So I think the secret is keeping up to date with all the developments and um, and listening. I mean, I, I love this uh, proverb. I think it's a Korean proverb. You know, we have we have two ears and one mouth for mouth for a reason. You know, so so listening and and trying to understand what's going on in the world, and also continually um, developing. Not just not just myself, but the whole developing the whole team, you know, and 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 getting the fresh blood into the company, you know, and and I think most important part is listening to the customers, what do customers want, and and you know, 
I love it when we get a complaint. I love it because it gives me an opportunity to do something about it. Because if I keep hearing this, if I speak to a customer, one of our customers, you know, how are you doing, guys? They say, are oh, you doing great? I don't get any comfort in that. You know, I don't, I rather, I wish, I rather them say to us, look, guys, you're doing good. We love working with you, but I wish you did this one slightly differently. I wish you did this. I wish you called me more or called me less. I wish you didn't write me emails, but telephone me. You know what I mean? I would very much prefer them to say things like that. When they say, oh, it's okay, you're, you're doing great. I don't get any comfort in that. So secret is we are really working at it as if, as if we just started, you know, having this excitement. You know, startups are great because there's so much excitement. You know, keeping that excitement going, it is, it is, it is hard, but this is good fun. The more, the more I can excite myself, I, I'm excited, I can excite my colleagues. And I noticed that actually it's much, much more fun doing that rather than just, I mean, I sometimes, you know, go to London on a train, well, I used to that last couple of years, you know, you see people on the train and they're going to work, but you, when you look at them, they think that they're going to a, a sort of, you know, a prison or something, you know, they look sort of really down and no energy and, you know, I, 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 I would hate that, you know, for me, you know, okay, I, I work remotely, I work from home. So for me, you know, having my coffee and coming to the office or, or my, my, my home office, it's like, you know, I can't wait to get in. It's not like dragging myself, oh my God, you're not another day. You know, having this excitement going, I think that that is one of the things that I try to do. I try to keep going myself and I would advise anyone to find ways to motivate themselves so that that excitement never dies. Yeah. Um, so how has your market specifically changed in the last like 30 years? Because you're saying you have to constantly keep up with that. And I know especially technology-wise, the past 30 years have been very big. So how, yeah, yeah. How, what, like, what's changed and how have you kept up? <laughs> how long have you got? <laughs> so much has changed. Like 30 years ago, we didn't have machine translations. I mean, we, we had machine translations, but it wasn't heard of. It wasn't mainstream. We didn't have artificial intelligence 30 years ago. We didn't have Google Translate. You know, when I go to sort of certain presentations, I say, I say to the guys, look guys, you know, you know Google Translate. When do you think Google Translate will take over our jobs as translators? And some people will say five years, two years, 10 years, never. I say, look, I'm sorry to say that, but it has already taken over our jobs. You know, what Google Translate translate in one day, all translators in the world can't do it in a year. You know, there's, there's, there's no comparison. So now we've got artificial intelligence applying to all parts of the industry. I mean, I can, um, uh, well, I should have done it now. I, I, Silly me, I forgot. I normally, when I do podcasting, I put um, uh, an app, app called Otter. I don't know if you heard of it, Otter, O-T-T-E-R. It, um, it takes, a, um, it transcribes uh, 
your sound into text, you know, and it's just pretty, pretty, pretty accurate. So I use author, transcribe it, send it to one of my colleagues who helps me with marketing and it becomes a blog post, you know? So, so we have all these apps, we have all this stuff that didn't exist 30 years ago. Well, not even like last 10, 10 years. Now we have machine translations. Machine translations have gone, I mean, like 10 years ago, whenever I did presentations, what Google Translate made mistakes was like, that's how I start the presentations. Do you know what guys? Uh, Google Translate, somebody in the, between a Spanish and Portuguese border, there's a the village and every year they do, they have this plant. I don't know what's it called, I forgot what's it, how is it said in, in, in Spanish, but it's a very special plant. So somebody to do that festival, they put it into Google Translate and Google Translate translated as vagina festival, <laughs> right? It didn't do any, any harm to them because it was all over the paper. <laughs> that was going, I think 2015, 14. So it was, it had so much press coverage Nobody complained because they had no one was heard of that village. Now everyone knows about it, you know. But those days are over. So the the, the advancement in new, neuro neuro translations, you know, neuro machine trans new, neural machine translations, has gone so well that it's, it's pretty pretty good. So now we've got machine translations. We've got artificial intelligence. We've got uh, platforms that does um, instant. You know, we could have this one. Uh, conversation with 10 other uh, languages and we could use a platform to translate, you know, instantly, spend, you know, while we're doing it. So everyone will speak their own language. We will see the subtitles in English or language of your choice and you'll respond in kind and same thing will go. Okay, is it, will that be 100% accurate? No, but it'll enable people to co collaborate. So, there has been many, many changes in technology. I mean, not just our industry, not just in language industry, think of accountants. You know, what used to be done manually, like bookkeeping, now I can do it on my, on my phone. I, I, I go, I take my client to, to a meal last week. We got the uh, receipt. I send the receipt to a receipt bank, one of the apps that we use with our booking software and that app will post the receipt to our accounting system you know without me just emailing it it'll be posted straight away and when the um, the payment and the accounting system will match the bank account instantly what would take maybe somebody take 10-15 minutes and probably one or two weeks to do because they need to see the receipt, they will need to see the bank statements. Now it's done instantly. So it's not our industry, like most industries have been affected. Accountants are is a prime example, but did accountants close shop and find other jobs? No, they're still, uh, you know, they're still good, good accountants still making a lot of money and, and providing a good service like graphic design. I'm originally from a print, print, printing trade. What we did in, in printing, you know, to do uh, like a, a, a color, uh, some, some, something like a graphics, uh, you know, to, to 
to get rid of the background, that would take any, any of us who is skilled good part of an hour to get rid of that background. Now people can do it instantly. They don't even need the app, just go to a website and then just remove the background, you know? So, but did graphic design die? No, this graphic design is still going. Printing is still going. So many changes and good thing, which I like about the localization industry, any developments in technology is reflected to us straight away. I love that part. I'm not complaining about it. I love that part. I don't know if I managed to answer your question. Uh, I wanted to ask you real quick, just because I'm very interested. How did you go from your your knowledge base and expertise in your industry to be able to make a book uh, or make a course based on that information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said say good, good, good question, Jack. Um, well. Once I was listening to a presentation, and this guy, I I, I love this guy. He's I follow his um, his like presentations and his his uh, his companies. His name, the guy's called Daniel Priestley, and I did his uh, business accelerator program 2011 or 2012. And in one of his presentations, he said something like that. He said where he lived, there's like two three different mountains, and you know you look at that mountain. You say, oh, wouldn't that be great to go on that on top of that mountain? And then you climb that mountain. I mean, he he. By the way, he he tells the story much better than I am telling you now. So you make an effort, go top of the mountain, and you're now on top of the mountain. And then you notice the other two mountains over there. They say, and then you say, oh, wouldn't that be great to go on that mountains? Not realizing that you're on top of a mountain yourself. You know. After a while, you know, running your business and learning stuff, you don't realize what sort of value you're sitting on. You, you don't, I mean, this is not just me. This is like, this is for most business, business, business owners, professionals. We don't realize how much information we are sitting on, you know? And um, that's, I had this, like, I think that was 2018 that I realized that. And that's when I wanted to write my book. Even the title of the book, actually, it was uh, established at the time, you know, Good Business in Any Language. That was my title. I had the chapters, but other things got in the way. I couldn't do it. And so with the pandemic, we said, okay, now we need to do something, you know, on purpose to turn this into an opportunity. But then, again, my colleagues, you know, realized that actually they could, they could actually step up because what I didn't want to do is writing my book that my business suffers. That wasn't, that would be pointless. So in April last year, we said, okay, guys, I said, I want to write this book. Can one of you step up to be the acting managing director? My colleague said, yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, so having a team around you and sharing the same core values then realize that actually, well, realize once again, that is making the biggest difference. So my colleagues stepped up as acting managing director, and then it enabled me to write my book. So we published in October and realized that actually it worked really well. You don't need me in the company. I said, let's make this permanent. And then we now made it permanent. I was happy to demote myself so that now 
I can maybe write another book or or take our services to to a different level and and offer some sort of consultation or coaching based around the book. Um, to answer your question, go back to your going back to your question. Running a business, connecting with customers, we acquire knowledge, and comes a point that you know that you're ready to write that book. You know. Yeah, 100%, I agree. Um, so just wrapping up, two, there's two questions that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Um, so the first question, and feel free to plug yourself in this, but um, what are two to three books that you've read that have really changed your perspective? Well, a uh, good question. Yeah, I, li I like that question. One of them is like um, a book called Traction uh, by um, Gino... Wickman, traction. I mean, it is. It gives you an. And it's, I love this. You know, I think. One second. Let me just. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know. Wickman, traction, and it is. It is based on EOS, which is the Entrepreneur's Operating System. I love that guy. I love. I love their method. EOS. And it gives you a whole total operating system on running your business. It's about, you know, um, accountability chart, core values, you know, 90 day action plans, having meetings that is like get results, getting the right people on the right seats. So incredible. So I would recommend it to anyone who wants to set up business. I wish I had access to that book 25 years ago. So Gino Wickman, uh, Traction. The other one is um, the guy that I mentioned earlier, Daniel Priestley, Entrepreneur Revolution. That's, I mean, there are many others, don't get me wrong, but these are the two, two that comes to mind that may have a profound, profound effect. When I say profound, not in a sort of um, uh, spiritual way, more like profound effect on my business. You know, this, this guy talks about creating assets, digital assets. You know, and he says, look, assets, you know, money follow assets. And if you create assets in your business, intellectual property, digital assets, you know, the money will follow. Hey, and having a niche, you know, having a niche that that you're known, known, known for something. And yeah, so, but there are many others. I mean, I, I can't think of them now, but yes, there are many other books. And and every book that I've read, I've learned something. That was the beauty of, uh, I mean, you can see it's going a bit dark, but you know, I, I do love books and not just e-books, but physical books that I can get my hands on. So the last question that we have for you today is, if you could go back and give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be? <laughs> well, Two really, two, I would give myself two advices if I could. Get coaching, you know, get coaching. Talk, whether it's a, it's a paid or mastermind, or there are different ways of, you know, get a mentor that, that somebody. So in other words, like surround myself with the people that who will help me develop myself. And the second one would be, it's like having a niche. Because we are too worried about losing customers if we say we are we are we are a niche 
business, what I mean by that, we do translations, but we only do manufacturing companies who does heavy industries, you know, or we do translations for aerospace. We do translations for uh, uh, sports, personal training. So, you know, we are too afraid to talk, to talk about a niche, but now I know that niche is the so such an important part of, you know, if, if you have a serious illness, do you go to your family doctor? No, you would go to the specialist because, you know, you, you, you got a problem. If you have a headache, you don't care where you go, you know? Uh, so yeah, these, these will be the two things that, that I would give myself or advice to anyone. Awesome, Oliver. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. And also, I'd love to um, offer your readers, uh, listeners, readers, listeners, um, a, a free download of my book and a couple of, there are some other goodies as well. They need to visit levant.team. That is Levant, my name, L-E-V-E-N-T, dot team, T-E-A-M. They can have access to uh, the e-book e version of my book, or they can purchase it from Amazon. There are links there. If, they, if anybody wants, they can join my uh, private Facebook group where we talk about um, conquering new markets and, and growing businesses. And uh, it's a kind of a, a help, help group. And, and there are other, other goodies there as well. So levent.team uh, is, is a free download. Awesome. That's it for today's episode of the Five Minute Hustle podcast. As always, guys, peace. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I appreciate it more than you could possibly imagine. The one thing that I ask from you is that you, if you've received any sort of value or learned anything from this episode, please share it with at least one friend. Follow the number 5AM Hustle Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Our Twitter handle is 5AM Hustle. If you have any questions or feedback, DM me or email me at 5AM Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. As always, go in the day.